Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo and hello everybody, Mike Moynihan here, as my dad just said. Welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast. Today I'm going to do an episode that's a little different. I think every episode is a little different. I say that almost every week, <laughs> don't I? But I'm going to talk about my collection. I'm going to talk about my projects, the the passions that I have, and hopefully that'll come through as I talk about this stuff for sure. I always talk to other guests or I'm asking people about their collections and I have never had an episode where I just sat and told you guys how I collect and how I really think maybe take you deep into the mind of Mike and what I think about when I'm <clears throat> decide to undertake a project or what I look for and all that kind of stuff. And the, the goal with that would be to maybe inspire you a little bit to encourage you to try something new to to go down a road in the hobby that you may not have gone down before or that you wouldn't even think of and that's so much fun by the way to to do that to go into uncharted waters with this hobby and sometimes it works out and sometimes you start a project and you just end up going yeah not so much you know and that's okay too like this isn't where if you, if you do it and you're not happy with it, that you can't zig and zag if you need to. It is funny here in Texas. It's, I think, 72 degrees right now. Uh, I'm It's already February. I'm recording this on February 1st. And it's 72 degrees here right now. By Thursday, the high will be in the low 20s and we're going to have snow and sleet and ice and it's going to be crazy. The weather and everybody says that the weather in there, wherever they live is usually pretty crazy. It it's for sure here. Crazy in Texas all the time. So I'm going to be cooped up for the next couple of days. So I wanted to get this episode recorded um, because I wanted to get it out there in case, you know, there's bad weather other places and you guys could listen to my voice or watch me on YouTube or whatever you're, wherever you're uh, consuming this content. So my hobby journey for so long, we've all heard the story. I don't want to belabor a point here or, or rehash things you guys have heard 10 times before, but as a player collector, I was just, which is what I did kind of collecting all I really, I collected everything like in the eighties by anything that was a baseball card. I wanted it. Didn't care. Just happy to have it. And then in the late 80s, I would say, maybe mid to late 80s, 
I fell in love with a player named Daryl Strawberry for the New York Mets. And I just loved his swing and I thought he was so good. And, and he was good. Like, <laughs> wasn't thinking he was good. He was good. So I started buying everything I could, Daryl Strawberry. And this was pre-eBay days. So it wasn't like you could just, you know, hop on your computer and heck back then, <laughs> you know, computers were just becoming a thing in the late eighties, like kind of PCs, everybody having personal computers and that kind of thing was very much in its infancy. And so it was going to card shops, which I was lucky enough to have several in the city that I lived. And then going to shows, which existed even back then, guys, for those of you that weren't around card shows have been around a long, long time and went to card shows and stuff like that to pick up singles and find cards that I didn't have. And it was rare to be able to find a card that you didn't have of a player. And then I, during the early nineties, when I was in college, I started falling in love with a guy named Juan Gonzalez for the Rangers. He won two home run titles back to back 92, 93. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this guy's amazing. And he plays for my favorite team, the Rangers. Great. Let's collect him too. And so I was kind of running dual collections. Strawberry kind of fell off the map in terms of his career. So I switched basically to full-time Juan Gonzalez. And then this other kid was starting to show some chops. And that was uh, Yvonne Rodriguez for the Rangers. And I was a catcher. So you can see how there's all these connections, right? You That's how you find projects that you have passion about is there's got to be some connection there. It can't just be just cause, you know? And so I was a catcher. Yvonne Rodriguez was amazing. I started collecting Yvonne Rodriguez stuff too, along with Juan Gonzalez, but Juan Gonzalez was my guy. I was kind of going all in on him. It got to a point where I had 4,500 or so different Juan Gonzalez cards, which is a lot. If you're, if you're a player collector or, or know that kind of world, that's a lot of individual cards. I had, I don't know, 20 to 31 of ones and all kinds of stuff. So that was great until I was like, ah, I'm kind of done with one guy. I got to a point where I couldn't find anything. I was really, eBay was around at this point, you know, we're talking all the way through 2005, probably Juan Gonzalez had moved on from the Rangers. So I was a little bitter about that. Uh, his career kind of stalled. Like it didn't look like he was going to be, hitting the milestones they needed to hit to get into the hall of fame. And so I'm like, okay, maybe I need to put a halt to this. And I had put so much time and effort into it. And that's what you do as a player collector. That's what you do as a collector period. You put a lot of time and effort into these projects and their passion projects. And so the time is well spent, no doubt, but I kind of saw the writing on the wall and I found another Juan Gonzalez super collector who literally bought my entire Juan Gonzalez collection part and parcel I think I finally sold it around 2010 um, for like $10,000, which was probably still less than I paid for it, honestly, but it was certainly a lot of money. And I was like, great. One, that's the way I love to do it. I was like, if I'm going to get rid of, I don't want to piecemeal it out. I don't want to take forever to sell everything and not everything's going to sell. Just as who would buy all of it. I happened to find the unicorn and he bought it and great. I was out of the Juan Gonzalez business. And then I watched 
2008 home run derby in Yankee Stadium, old Yankee Stadium, the last year it was around. And this guy named Josh Hamilton absolutely went bananas. And I went, holy crap. And I had heard about Josh Hamilton. I actually knew his story of him, you know, coming back to baseball from substance abuse addiction. And uh, he was a strong Christian uh, of which I am. And so that connected with me too. And then he hit the ball. So, I mean, he was just an amazing hitter and just so, so good. So much talent. And so much of that talent had been his early years had been wasted. And now he had this chance at chance at redemption. And here he was on a national stage, just blowing people away. And so I, I watched that and on, I remember being getting done watching the home run derby that night. And I went and bought a one, one, a Josh Hamilton Jersey, an all-star Jersey from 08, like the, the replica jerseys that they wear. And that night I became a Josh Hamilton super collector. That was again, 2008. So it was 14 years ago now. Well, 14 years later, I still have all of those Josh Hamilton collectors. I have not found that unicorn that would be willing to take an un so that I could unload all of my Josh Hamilton cards, which was the last player collection that I, you know, undertook. That's what cured me from being a player collector was Josh Hamilton and his fall from grace. And as great as he was for a five-year period for the Rangers, the once he got to the angels and just, you know, relapses of stuff. I mean, just like, Oh, here we go again. Daryl Strawberry. Now, Yvonne Rodriguez, Hall of Famer, and I still have a lot of ton. All of my want my Yvonne Rodriguez cards, I still have. So I, I love those. I really do. And he's Hall of Famer. So I'm like, great. Those are good. Those are good to keep, you know. But I have a lot of dead weight too in the in the Josh Hamilton collection, so to speak. And I and I had again I had fun doing it. I loved searching for the cards and finding stuff. And so it again, it's not time wasted. It's just is there a better way to do this is what I kept asking myself. And I had always loved the history of the game so much, just always been attracted to the, the hall of famer stories, the stuff of, and I always loved vintage. I always dabbled in vintage and bought some vintage, certainly had some in my collection, but I wasn't uh, a full, full blown vintage guy as I am now. And then I, probably in 2011, 2010, 2011, maybe 2010, I think it was actually, I decided to start going after the first project of truly vintage cards, you know, Hall of Famer focused. And that was the 300 great cards of the 20th century by Mike Payne. Started going after that set. And I'm like, oh man, this is it for me because this is awesome. There's all these amazing cards in this book. Some of them are head scratchers. You kind of go, why is this card in this set? Uh, Herb Washington and Oscar Gamble and Kurt Bavakwa blowing bubble gum, et cetera. There's some weird ones in there, no doubt, and probably not the 300 that I would choose, but Mike Payne chose them. And I thought he did a really good job of it overall. And I thought there were some iconic cards in there and certainly some cards I would never get. The Honus Wagner is in there. T206. Uh, there's some, there's a Walter Johnson in there. That's the Ramley. Very, very tough, very, very expensive. And so it wasn't that it was, I have to get every one of them. So what I did first is knowing that, knowing there was so much pre-war stuff, which I was not really into, I said, I'm going to do just the, 
1960s through the end of the book, which, you know, 1999, 20th century, right? So 1960 to 1990, I'm going to do those. And I initially started buying them raw. Um, and that wasn't a big deal for the Mike Piazza rookie that's in there and the, you know, Jeff Bagwell and Chipper Jones and stuff like that. Buying those raw wasn't, a, wasn't the big deal. But then even in the 60s, there's a bunch of Mantle cards in there and Willie Mays and Hank Aaron. And I'm like, you know, I don't know that I, even at that point, 30 years into the hobby, was I adept enough to be able to discern fake from real? Did I want to get duped? Did I want to deal with condition issues and buying online and not being happy with the card and all these different things that play into the decision that I made <coughs> to go with graded cards for that project. And once I started doing, I'd been, by the way, you may find this hard to believe for the longest time. I thought grading was an absolute scam. I'm like, these people are why, who cares? Why does somebody need to grade the card? I mean, give me a break. I just want the card. I thought it was the dumbest way to collect ever. I really did. And it was from a point of, or a perspective of being naive about it. I didn't have any graded cards. So of course I'm going to poo-poo all over graded cards because I didn't have any. And so maybe it was this, well, I don't really need that. And I, you know, I can't be in that position anyway. So whatever. Then I started buying some for that set, the cards that I was more concerned about some of the earlier mantles in the sixties um, and going, you know, let's just buy a graded one. Cause at least then, you know, it's authentic. The grade itself, the numerical grade assigned grade for condition was certainly lower on the totem pole of importance for me. It wasn't something that I totally focused on. A lot of the mantles that I bought early on were threes and fours and, uh, just so I wasn't like going high grade and I got to get this because I also even then uh, had a reasonably tight hobby budget. I couldn't just spend willy nilly, still can't spend willy nilly. But uh, as I started to acquire these graded cards, I just fell in love with them. And I, and I fell in love with a lot of things that a lot of collectors agree with. And that's the, consistency of the collection all of them being the same thing and looking the same and i can display them the same way and you know there's some consistency with that so important to my brain to my collector brain to be able to stay organized to and then i found there i discovered there was a psa set registry for that and i'm like oh my gosh even better i can have this awesome checklist not that i didn't know what cards were in the uh project because i had the book but I can now track it and oh my gosh, I can compare myself to other people that are doing the same thing that love that set too. And it was very eye opening to me and, and kind of this epiphical moment within the hobby for me of discovering set registries and discovering uh, graded cards. I've been that way ever since, by the way. So that hasn't changed. That's not something that I've gotten tired of or grown weary of dealing with. I still love that. So, the 300 great cards, I mean, at this point, uh, let me look real quick on my spreadsheet because I keep everything on a spreadsheet just because I have so many projects. But I have 239 of the 300 cards. 
So I only need 61 more, none of which are under a grand. Every single card I need is at least $1,000. And so that project, I would call it in, it's not that I don't look for them and I try to add a couple every year, but the reality is that's a project that's going to continue to grow slowly. This is probably a good time to interject a few things, a few thoughts is again, is this, is my goal is to inspire and to encourage is to go into projects when you think about them of, you know, how, how doable is this both financially availability of the cards? Um, you got to think about just, will you like it down the road? If it takes a long time, you know, are you going to be, is it sustainable? All these things, uh, because, you can get tired uh, and and that's a danger. You just don't, that's no fun, right? What's cool is you can put projects on hold. If you have a couple of projects going on, you can always go, you know what? I'm going to set that aside a little bit and I'm going to work on some other things that I love too. And that's super important to be able to do that and then come back to it down the road. So I always kind of like I'll come back every once in a while and start looking for the cards that I need. I'll have five or 10 that I'm kind of targeting right now and in that project. And okay. But let me tell you where that goes. So once you have this project, what it did for me and the way it really started infecting me, it, it think of a, think of it spreading, you know, a disease that spreads and it spread because I started going, you know what? There's a lot of great rookie cards in this 300 great card set. I discovered the set registry for the post-war hall of fame rookie set. And I said, well, why don't I just start trying to get all the rookies of hall of famers in the post-war era? It's like, wow. And what's great is there's some overlap. And I find that there's few joys in the hobby greater than when you have multiple projects that you're passionate about. And when you buy one card and it can fill multiple holes within different projects that you might be working on. It's so cool. Cause you're like, Oh my gosh, this, this fits in this set and that set and this project and that project. And so I would simply start looking for hall of fame rookie cards. And I found they were reasonable. This is again, you know, six, seven years ago uh, that I started doing that. And what's cool about the hall of fame rookie set post-war hall of fame rookie set is it's an ever evolving set. It's ever growing because as new hall of famers are added year after year, after year, you get to go buy another card. Even if you complete the set, which I'm in no way uh, close to completing that one. I'm currently actually, I'm pretty close to completing it, but there's 112 cards in that set, the post-war hall of fame rookie set. It's a very competitive, like there's a lot of people that, love doing that too. And it makes a whole lot of sense to me why there would be so many people that even with all the cards that I have, I'm still number 74 on that set in the rankings. And that's ironically, that's not important uh, because it's, it's cool to see where you are. It doesn't really matter where you are. If that makes any sense at all, those can coexist. You know, I am uber hyper, super competitive, no doubt, but at the same time, Time I'm not there sitting there going this card because I want to beat some nameless, faceless person's line item on the set registry. It's as much for checklist purposes and just, hey, where am I in that? Like, I wonder how good my collection really is. And when you find out you're number 74, you're like, yeah, I'm not so good. And that's okay. Like, it, 
it doesn't make me jealous or anything. I'm just, wow. Okay. That's where I'm at. And then, uh, so I started doing that. The hall of fame rookie said, and then I said, you know, I'm going to go get all of the cards from of hall of famers from the, my birth year, 1973. I love the 73 top set. I thought, man, I'll go get all of the hall of famers from that set. How cool. Let's just do a run of that. It'd be so neat to see them all together and lay them all out. And I did that. I finished the 1973 run. They said, you know, what's my favorite set from the 60s? Maybe my favorite set of all time. How about 1960 tops? Let's do the same thing. And so I did that. And I got all the Hall of Famers from the 1960 top sets. These are set registries as well, by the way. So if you kind of get, don't even know where to start, if, if you had a certain year that you loved or a team or whatever, most likely there's a set registry. And like I said, the, the great thing about that is not necessarily that you're going to do them all in PSA. You can use SGC. You can do it however you want. It's at least a good checklist. Or you can kind of build your own checklist if you feel like it of certain things. But there were set registries for these each these each of these individual years as I was building, building these Hall of Fame runs. And so 1960 became next. And I said, oh, man, you know what set I really love is 1953 Bowman Color. What if I did that one? My gosh. And I started doing the 1953 color set because my favorite card of all time is in the 53 Bowman color set. That's the Pee Wee Reese. I also love the Stan Musial in that set. I recently got the Mickey Mantle. That's actually a run I haven't even finished. I still need Duke Snyder. And then of the new Hall of Famers, I need Minoso and Gil Hodges. So again, as Hall of Famers are added, these um, projects continue to grow which means you never get done with them, which can both be a blessing and a curse. It can be a wonderful thing and a bang your head against the wall thing because, oh my gosh, you could easily look at it as I got to go get these other cards, whatever, but they're hall of famers. It's what I love. So it's totally great. Right. Then I said, well, I've done a set from, I'm working on a set for all these were kind of running concurrently, which as you can see, if you start piling these projects on, it's kind of cool because if I can't find any 73s, maybe I can find some 60s. And if I can't find any 60s, I'll look for 53s and just kind of keep circling back and just doing this, this lap around the projects. 1980 tops became the next one because I wanted an 80 set. 80s, one of my favorites, has the great Ricky Henderson rookie card. And, and to me, 80 tops represents the end of an era, the end of only tops. And so I thought it fitting that that would be the set I would try to get all the Hall of Famers on. And then I remembered to my childhood and one of my favorite sets in my early adult life was 1992. And I remember buying so many boxes of 1992 Ultra. I thought it was so cool. The glossy finish, the color bleed of the images all the way to the edge of the cards. Uh, so many great names. And it was a relatively small set. Uh, I think it was 300 cards, 400 cards, something like that. And I was like, what if I did all the Hall of Famers from 92 Ultra? And then I said, what about 89 Upper Deck? That's a classic set. Why don't I do that? You can see where I'm going with this. I kept adding years. And some things started to change in the way I was doing things. I, I was getting done with these. And I'm like, well, do I just want to do another year? Or why don't I just do a whole decade? You know, I mean, why not do all the 60s? 
in the 70s and the 80s. And there, that was the birth of what I called the three-decade set. Now, ironically, on PSA, they don't have a three-decade set or a four-decade set or whatever. They have each decade individually. So you have the 60s, 70s, and the 80s all individually. You can do an entire decade at a time. Um, they also have the 50s for tops. They don't have a 50 Bowman one, 50s for Bowman, which is interesting. But you can do the individual years for Bowman. So the Hall of Famer runs. And so I said, well, let's just try to do a decade. And when I did it, it was, there's two reasons that really motivated me to kind of take this leap into Crazyville and uh, hop on that train was, number one, I had a situation where I was doing really well in my career. My income was at a point where I had more money that I could spend on cards. I was paying my bills and saving money and saving for retirement and all these other things. And I still had some discretionary income greater than I had, you know, in the past. And I finally had some financial flexibility to be able to start adding some uh, to, to just increase my hobby budget overall. Again, I, I only say, tell people to do that when you're kind of taking care of all the other important things in life. Cards are way down the list. And so it, as long as bills are being paid and you're not getting into debt and you're able to save for your kid's college and save for your retirement and all those things get taken care of, whatever money's left, that can be for cards. That's That's kind of my advice to people most of the time. And <clears throat> certainly was the case for me. So I had an income, you know, I had a, a budget ability to be able to start expanding what I wanted to do. And I started thinking long-term about where do I want this to go? How, what, what could I take undertake as a project that might take me a decade and that that would be okay, that I would enjoy every step of it along the way. And that is the, this three decades set idea, like there's tons of freaking cards, not long into it, um, maybe a year or so into it, I, I expanded it to where it is today, which, which is what I call the four decades set, which is again, every hall of famer pictured on a Bowman or tops card from the fifties tops cards from the sixties, seventies and eighties. <coughs> and it is a massive undertaking, no doubt. Uh, it is a total with the new Hall of Famers that have been added, you know, in late 2021, 2,455 cards, 2,455 cards, not just any cards, but the greatest players ever from those decades. When they appeared on a Topps or Bowman card, that's a collection that I thought I could be really super happy with and proud of. And it's okay to be proud of your collection. It's okay to be, to say, man, I've accomplished something and I'm happy I have it and I'm thrilled to death and to share that with other people and show it off to show it off. And again, not from an egotistical standpoint or uh, bragging or anything like that. It's simply, man, I've been able to do this and it's taken me a long, long time. And here we are. 2,455 cards was the, was that project size. Also, what was cool is I already had some of it done. I was working on the post-war rookie set. So I had a bunch of those already kind of some of those key, bigger, more expensive cards. 
I'd done the 60 and the 73 and the 80 tops and the 53 Bowman color, et cetera. So it, it, I wasn't starting from zero, which was certainly encouraging. And from at this point right now, February 1st, 2022, uh, I am sitting at 1,888 of the 2,455 cards, which means I need about 567 of them still. So I've got almost 77% of the project done. The interesting thing is it'll likely take me another five or six years to finish the other 24%, 23%. And that's, again, that's totally okay. In fact, I'm looking forward to it. I'm so excited to be, to be on the hunt and to look for these cards. And a lot of them have very low pops because why would anybody grade some of this crap? And that's all fine with me. I want it, you know? Somebody else may look at cards that I have, especially from the, you know, junk wax era of the 80s and go, why would anybody ever grade that card? Nobody would ever want it. And I say, well, I do. So I'm, I guess I'm the sucker in that equation and happy to be it because I care about it and I like it. And it's, you know, if somebody criticized it, I'd be like, well, you don't have to buy it. You know, that's fine. You know, it's not for everybody. And as you're, as people do projects and I, and people tell me about projects and I try to encourage and inspire and it's like, what do you care about? Who cares what anyone else thinks? Why do you care? It's your collection. And if you have passion for it and you can share that, I promise you people are going to think it's cool. There's plenty of people that I watch on YouTube or listen on podcasts and I don't collect the way they collect. But when they talk about it and you hear their passion and you and you see their excitement of getting a new card added to that collection, I'm nothing but thrilled for them. I just say, man, that's awesome. Good for you. Keep going. I can't wait to see the next one. And, you know, don't get caught up in chasing what everyone else is doing. You know, from what I understand, nobody's ever tackled something like this. I wouldn't care if they had, but it's, I didn't do it because I was trying to chase someone else. I did it because it was something that was important to, that I wanted to do, if that makes any sense. So at this point, I've got all these different, you know, just graded card projects that I'm working on. And even before all of those things started, I, I was a, I'm a huge autograph guy. And I don't think I talk about it enough here, certainly on the podcast where you guys know how big into autographs I am, but Hall of Famer autographs are the creme de la creme for me. If I had to get rid of everything else and could only keep one part of my collection, I would keep my Hall of Fame autograph collection because it's a tangible connection to that player that they had to sign. They had to touch the item that they signed. And it's kind of this weird, I don't know how to describe it. Uh, to me, it just matters more. And there's so many cool things you can get that are signed by Hall of Famers and from cards to postcards and little slips of paper and golf club, you know, membership cards. I mean, you name it, all kinds of weird stuff. And I and I love that the quirkiness of that. I love the the just differences that come with that. So my biggest autograph project is just ha trying to have a autograph of every Hall of Famer. And I'm currently at with David Ortiz's induction. Congratulations, David Ortiz. 253 Hall of Famers of the 340 or so that there are. So there are so many of those guys that you cannot get. They're just impossible either because they simply don't exist 
or they are uh, so cost prohibitive that I'll never own one. And that number's probably around 80 guys that I can't get. So I can realistically probably get to about 275, I would think. And it's going to still cost me a mint to get there. But uh, that's, again, one of those fun projects that has had to slow down as I've gotten all the easy stuff. All the low-hanging fruit has been had years and years ago. And, and yeah, it's great when somebody like Ortiz gets in because they're pretty low-hanging. They're easy to get relatively cheap but to go back and go i need a you know christy matthewson or a ross young's or who you know i mean just some of these guys are just impossible uh or certainly just very expensive okay so it might take me a little while all the better all the more time i get to enjoy the hunt all the more time i get to reflect on what i have and enjoy it uh, so i do have a bunch of other little side projects autograph wise you know 500 home run club i want autographs of all those guys and there's some of those guys that aren't in the hall of fame so you, you kind of get to add some different players to that i collect all things dick perez that are signed uh his prestial hall of fame postcards the celebration postcards the great moments postcards you name it if a hall of famer has the ability to sign a dick perez item i want it diamond kings um the 83 Donruss Hall of Fame hero set, all of those things. I just love them so much because I just, that was my childhood. That's the connection. I, I connected with Diamond Kings early on because I started collecting in 81. Diamond Kings came out in 82. It was just this kind of perfect match. I was like, whoa, these are so cool. All the best players. And they're, they got these cool art pictures along with their regular card. How cool is that? So I became <clears throat> a Dick Perez fan back then. And have remained so to this day so those kinds of things now i can get those you can go find those and it's like oh my gosh this is so awesome and so that is not every pro i have tons more projects i didn't want to just make this a three hour long diatribe about mike's collection but i thought i would give you some insight and provide some you know uh deeper explanation of who I collect, why I collect, what I collect, where I've come from in my collecting journey, because it's a long journey. It's a 40 year journey and hopefully 40 more because I truly love this hobby. I truly love finding stuff. I loved it before I had friends that did it. Now I'm in the community and have so many other people that enjoy the same things I enjoy. And it, this, oh my gosh, there's other people that are just as nuts as I am. This is fantastic. <laughs> I don't feel alone anymore. This is great. And being able to go to shows and help other people hunt for cards and help other people find stuff that they're looking for. And it's all the better if I already have it because I'm not, I'm not competing with them. That's fantastic. So again, I hope this was helpful and at least a little bit inspiring, encouraging to go for it, to find something that you can love and, and really go after it and not be upset if that doesn't turn out to be everything you wanted it to be and to be able to switch gears and move on to something else and not feel guilty and just love the next thing that you're going to do because it's happened to me and probably every collector out there has had that happen to them at some point and it's taken me a long time to get to the place where i am now of really just so much enjoying what i what i collect and what i go for it's uh it's worth the journey, let me tell you. So thanks again, everybody, for watching. Thanks for, you know, listening on podcast. 
love, would love if you're listening on podcast for people to go out and if you're on Apple podcasts or wherever and leave reviews and leave comments and five-star review or one-star review, if you don't, if you think I suck, that's fine too, but go out and leave a review and, and let people know about this podcast and what you think, because it's really important. If you have questions for me about projects, and I bet there could be a lot of questions, don't hesitate to reach out at Baseball Collector Mike on Instagram. I have so many people. I should start doing a segment every week where at the end of the podcast, I read a comment because it's literally every week I'm getting uh, such great encouragement from you guys out there telling me how much you love the podcast or how much it's helped you. You've just gotten back into the hobby and you found my podcast. You discovered this and it just really helped you move down the road and make good decisions and all of those things. And that keeps me going. It genuinely does. And I really appreciate it more than, you know, so if you want to reach out, ask a question, feel free uh, at baseball collector, Mike, again, on Instagram, we'd love to hear from you. So hope everybody has a great rest of your week uh, that you don't get snowed in or iced in or whatever's going to happen to us here in Texas and stay safe out there. And above all, you know, keep collecting. See you guys.